Hey y'all, this is Lee from the Magic Our Way Podcast, and you're listening to the BS Podcast Network. Your attention please. The Magic Our Way Podcast is now leaving from New Orleans for an artistic tour of all things Disney. Jumbo, everyone. Rumble. Hi, Mr. Anonymous here, and you are listening to the Magic Our Way podcast. Magic Our Way takes an artistic view of all things Disney-related. Join your hosts, Kevin and Danny, Marvel expert and proprietor of ivorycomics.com, Eli, and your personal earmarked travel agent, you've got a friend in Lee, Lee Lastavica. Come join the Weekend Nation on social media and at magicarway.com. Jumbo, everyone! Harambe! And welcome to another edition of the, the Magic, Magic Our Way podcast. podcast. Son, everyone, you are listening to the Magic Our Way podcast from New Orleans, Louisiana, in the United States of America. We are artistic buffs talking about dizzy stuff. All opinions are always welcome on the Magic Our Way podcast. www.magicourway.com is where you can find us. My name is Kevin. I'm Danny. And with us today, we have. Excelsior! You know, 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 you know. I have the You know the story's all about the glory. It is our resident comic genius from IvoryComics.com, Mr. Eli Ivory. How you doing, sir? Good, good, good. Podcast ain't easy to do, but we just make it look like we gotta do what we have to do because we pros and we love our more weekend nation. So hey, good to be here for another week and have my crew with me. Flour, sugar, eggs, and milk. <laughs> <laughs> make something really good and sweet, baby. Cake, baby. Cake. Really good and sweet. You bake good. it, make it hot and juicy and mmm. Love this show. Love you guys. Thank you very much I love for you listening. Too, man. Yeah, man. I love you too, man. Awesome. And um Yeah, Lee's not on the show this week. No, oh, he's what on happened? assignment. He's counting. Shoes, shoes, more shoes. Rice, rice, <laughs> what rice. What the crackers. heck was that? That was the audit count. <laughs> that was, what was it? Shoes, shoes, more shoes. Yeah, that was the shoes count. But this was a very magical night today. It I was. tell you what, this was it, great. No, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. If you're a week and you're in for a treat, absolutely. And Just, if you're not, you need to join up. And if you're a Lee fan, well. Sorry. What can I tell you? Tune in next week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or listen to last week's show. He had a dinner at the, what, Denny's or? A previous engagement. A previous engagement. With no Hasselvika. I'll leave it to you. Oh, wait, you mean I can't just be on the show and say goofy things? I got to research? I got something to do. Well, Mohicans, ladies and gentlemen, we have an incredibly awesome show for you today. Yes. If you've stuck with us for a long time, back on show 115, we had this person's dad. And that was a pleasure to be on. Uh, today for this show, we have the son, the heir to the cockerel throne, so to speak, 
Mr. Dan Cockrell on the show, former VP of Magic Kingdom and Hollywood Studios and Epcot Center and the parking lot and a bunch of different things that he did in Walt Disney World for the past quarter of a century, if former not more. Former VP as of like a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. Fresh. Hot off the presses, man. Cockrell the sequel. Cockrell the sequel. He's off doing What's his happening? own thing. It was an incredible conversation and discussion we have with him. Uh, I, I just can't. I, there's no adjectives to describe the experience we just had. No. And no. we hope you enjoy listening to Dan Cockrell speak. Very not, cool family. I mean, like the genes that they just passed down the magic. Those Cockrells got some. They got something going. They, they got, good, they, good. They, they got a little something. They got that good, good. They got here. that good, good. That good family. That good stock. There. And guys, we're about to slap you across your face, neck, and chest with that good, good. So guys, enough of my jibber jabber and slapping. Let's go talk to Dan Cockrell. Welcome to The Hub, and today we have a very special interview. Our next guest has spent over a quarter of a century as an employee of the Walt Disney Company and has recently departed. I won't say retired, and I will definitely let him clarify that during our discussion. (laughs) Here's the count, guys. Three parks, two resorts, one college program equals one heck of a bucket of wind so far, and it looks like there's much, much more to come. So, Mohegans, ladies and gentlemen, we present to you former vice president of the Magic Kingdom, Dan Cockrell. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, we're very excited to speak with you. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like so cool. <laughs> if it's all the same, can I can I ask Dan the exact same question I asked his father when we had Lee on the show? Bring it. Sure, yeah. Can you yeah. get me a job at Disney? Uh, <laughs> a week and a half ago, I had a heck of a lot more influence than I do today. So that's, a, that's a good question. <laughs> you know what your father told me? He said, sure, I can still get you a job. How hard do you want to work? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that sounds like something he'd say. <laughs> Speaking of which, I'm curious, do you have a day planner? Because after we interviewed him, I went out and bought a day planner. Yeah, I, um, I used to. When I was, I was, I think I was 15, I was required to go to a time management class. And so <laughs> I, w- I was there with a bunch of managers from Marriott. And, you know, when you're 15, you know, it's like, okay, go to school, go to keg party. You know, there's not a lot of planning you're doing. But I, I definitely got the, the lessons. And I did it for a long time. And then I went electronic and I don't, I'm not quite the same level of, uh, he's pretty maniacal with it and prioritization and things, but I, I don't, I use, uh, I have my iPhone and I have all the apps and I kind of organize myself that way. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> there we you did, go. We, that's what we told him. And he still said, no, you're not prepared. What have happens if this, and we couldn't answer him. We're just so. like, okay, that sounds cool. Yeah. We, we, every, every couple of years at Christmas or Thanksgiving, we have a showdown and my mom will say, okay. Put a put a meeting on for this date. Go. And he writes it, and I do it electronically. And he always wins because the, the pencil's much faster. And I guess he makes his point. He's got shorthand. But to be fair, yours is backed up. You know, it is backed yeah. up to uh, iTunes or whatever the, the online thing is. So that that's the part yeah, that I'm not, I like. I'm not making photocopies of it. That's for sure. Right. Exactly. And if you don't, if you lose the paper, then you're not like, oh my gosh, what just happened? You know. Yeah. You can always sync it to a VoIP phone if you need to. So it goes with your Outlook calendar. Yeah, none of these arguments would work with him. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not as organized as me, and the discussion's over. That's we right. tried them. We yeah, tried we them tried. all. It <laughs> didn't work. And then at the end of it all, he had us convinced, and I really thought, 
you know what? I'm going out and get me a day planner. I'm, I'm, I'm I bought one too. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. I, I just <laughs> took recycled paper and wrote on that. That's what I did. <laughs> so, Dan, one approach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Starting with you, I, I'm curious uh, about what made you re- enroll in the Disney College program. Were you a Disney fan growing up? Did you have a an emotional attachment to the parks and the films? Uh, did you always want to work there? What What made you decide to sign on with Disney? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a lot of things I've done in my life and career, they're sort of random things that come at you. And it's funny how that works, where even with our kids, when we've introduced them to certain, we've traveled certain places and showed them certain things when they're younger, and they sort of hook onto it. And I was in college, I was a political science major at Boston University, so I didn't have a, really a plan. And uh, a friend, a guy my dad worked with at Marriott, uh, left Marriott to go work for Disney, and he mentioned to my dad that they had this college program that at Walt Disney World. And uh, he mentioned it to me and said, yeah, this could be a good experience. Get it on your resume. And I usually took his advice. And so I applied for it and came down and, and did that for a summer. So it just happened to be this guy mentioned it in passing. And I knew that getting some work experience would be good in college and, and did that. I worked in a, a an investment bank the next summer. I didn't really enjoy that. I, was, uh, I, I waited tables in Ocean City, Maryland one summer. So I got a lot of different experiences, but it was uh, it was just something I kind of did on the on the fly and uh, really enjoyed the the environment and the structure. Because I think you did the college program prior to your dad taking the gig at Disney, right? I think it right. Was, so okay. so the guy who Sanjay Varma he left Marriott and went to Disney. Um, then I went on the college program, and then the, uh, a year later he called my dad and said, "Hey, we we'd like to hire you to come work at Disney." And that's when my dad came over to Disney. So we we've sort of been leapfrogging back and forth, and um, you know my my daughters work there, my son has worked there, my wife used to work there. So a lot of us, it's a it's definitely a Disney family. So Sanjay is responsible for the Cockrell family's involvement with Disney. Is that what you're telling us? Well, yeah, we sent him cards before and said, you know, if it hadn't been for that, I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't have met my wife. It's funny how one moment, one decision in your life leads down this whole path of all these other things that happen. I guess you call that fate. Well, that's awesome. let's get to that. So how did you meet your wife? Yeah, so she worked at the um, – she, she's from Lyon in the south of France. And when she was 16, she left and went to London didn't speak a word of English and was an au pair. She took care of uh, a lady who was a singer and took care of her, her, of her kids. And she lived there for a year and a half. She learned to speak English. She was always the one that was traveling, the adventurer. And her family knew she wasn't going to ever stay in this little village in, in France. Mm-hmm. And so um, when she went back to school, one of her professors at school recommended and say, hey, there's this program at Walt Disney World in Florida at Epcot, and they have the, a pavilion that represents France, and you can go on a one-year contract and work there. And so she went to Paris and interviewed for that and was selected, and she went and did that for a year. She went back to uh, France and was working in Euro Disney at the time, uh, called what they were calling all these former European cast members who had worked at Walt Disney World and said, hey, we're going to open a park in France. Are you interested? And so they brought a few hundred over to, to Walt Disney World to train. And so she came over for that. I was on the college program. I went back to school for two years and I came back about the same time to train for the Euro Disney program. So we met here in Florida at the college housing and as I tell the college program, it was in uh, building 39 at the washing machine. And she was doing the laundry. And you know, I, I pulled my, my line like, you know, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> how are you doing? You and, stole uh, my line. And she, and she doesn't really remember the first interaction we had. But I, I kept at it. And uh, we started dating. And uh, eventually moved to France, 
moved in together and then my visa was expiring. And so I said, Hey, what do you think about getting married? She's like, cool. I'm in. So we had an eight week engagement and got married really fast so I could stay over there and get my green card. You know, I was, <laughs> I was going to ask you, I was going to say, so why, why did you relocate to France? Uh, was it for the opportunity to be on the ground floor of this new park that's opening up? But it, it seems to me you might have been chasing a girl. The city of love. That's right. Well, at first it was the, the uh, work in the park. And then it was this girl. And uh, she always gives me a hard time because we lived out in the outside of Paris. And I proposed to her like like doing the dishes after breakfast or something. She still gives me a hard time. She's like, we're in this, this totally romantic city. And you proposed to me at the sink. I'm like, well, I'm a pretty practical guy. So I, 20, we've been married 25 years now. And I'm, I, she's still not over that. She has a long memory. Hey, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, man. Look, like, I evacuated to Dallas during Hurricane Katrina, and I proposed to my wife bedside <laughs> at the hotel that we got arrived at after having traveled like 20-something hours uh, while we're evacuating. So you're good. You're good. You just know when the, it, you know it's right. Yes. Yes. I can I tell you, I proposed to my wife at the Contemporary Resort overlooking the fireworks during the, what was it, Wishes. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So you did it right. I, I mean, well, you, no, you no. Right. You did it right because you know what my wife has told me since then? The most romantic thing a man can do for a woman is do the dishes. There you go. <laughs> so if Hold I would have... Let me write that down. I'm going to pull that out tonight. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Replay this clip He's, and yeah, absolutely. You like, my love for you is clean. <laughs> pure. It's pure. So what did you yeah. think about... I mean, that's got to be intimidating. Moving to a place where you don't speak the language, you don't really know anybody. What was the thought process? I don't know. It was... <laughs> It was one of these things where, once again, my dad has always given me great advice, and he never, he's never told me what to do, but he's also always you know, said, hey, you may want to consider this, and that usually means it's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was, okay, you're a political science major, you're graduating, uh, you can go work internationally for Disney, open a park. He says, no one gets this chance. I mean, this is like once-in-a-lifetime kind of chance. And so, of course, I jumped in, and I just remember being on the plane flying over and just deciding, okay – you can either be intimidated and worried and embarrassed about not being able to communicate, or you can treat this like an adventure and know that you're going to be in really ridiculous situations and they're going to be great stories later. So just go, just jump in. And when I got there, because you know, at, at 22 years old, when you're an adult, learning another language is difficult because as adults, we're taught to be good at stuff and not try stuff. That's why kids can learn so fast. They don't worry about failure and they don't worry about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just went there and just started whatever word I could think of. I just pulled it out. And the good thing about living in France is everyone speaks French there all the time. Like <laughs> at the supermarket, the bank, at work, it never stops. And it was the first six months was pretty stressful because just you know basic things like the phone rings and you just go, oh no, not the phone. <laughs> not the phone. And you were just living and just kind of just, you know, I mean understanding very little and using a lot of body language and you just keep you keep at it you keep hammering away at it and eventually you start understanding it your vocabulary builds and uh, you figure it out and i tell people you move to another country for a couple years i don't care what country you go to you're going to learn the language if you're immersed in it every day it's incredible how fast you can you can adapt when you have to yeah absolutely yeah and as long as the country is accepting of you and patient with you then yeah that's even more encouraging 
Yeah, well, well they, that didn't always happen either. But you have to eat <laughs> and you have to shop and you have to get things done. Now, I have to admit, my my reading and writing level is like a fourth or fifth grade level, and no one's ever asked me what part of France I'm from. <laughs> I've never got that question. I mean, it's pretty clear. I'm from I was the good some part. sort of foreigner, but uh, it's pretty humbling to be live in another country for five years, and you're always the one with the accent. You're always the one that doesn't quite understand the joke because you don't have all those cultural references. So it was it was very uh, grounding. Ah, you're American. Ah, I get it. Yeah, where's your cowboy hat? Yeah. <laughs> where's your cowboy <laughs> hat? Yeah. Where's your we have, they have also. Clint Eastwood, yeah. <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's, it's funny you bring up the whole traveling thing because uh, in doing research for this interview, uh, you know, I listened to some of the podcasts you're on and also stumbled across uh, the Disney Programs blog in which you state the 11 tips for success in life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, w- uh, great list, by the way. Uh, we'll post Thank a link you. for the listeners in the show notes. Um, I, I know that you traveled overseas, and I know because your dad was a Marriott in the hotel industry, hotel industry tends to travel a lot. One of the things that you list as your successes is travel as much as you can. Um, sure. So, uh, what, uh, could you expound a little bit of that more as far as how that relates to successes in life and what that does for um, uh, an individual, I guess? Yeah, it just, you know, I, when I'm talking to college program cast members and they say, you know, they want career advice. And I said, look, I can't tell you what you're supposed to do, but all I can tell you is just keep getting diverse experiences. And I said, they're not all going to be positive, but long-term, they're all valuable. And traveling does that to you. Uh, And when I talk about traveling, you don't have to move, you don't have to go to another country to learn a new language. I mean, you can just leave the state or drive across the United States or just go to another place. Just put yourself in in, in situations. It could be, and for me, it was as simple as hang out with people, even at Disney, that like, okay, hang out with some engineers and find out how they do their job because I have no clue how they get things done. And so just this idea of being open-minded and being curious and because uh, a lot of people say, well, I'm not getting opportunities. I don't, you know, nothing ever good happens. I don't know. Nothing's going on. I said, look, there's thousands of people around you and then you have the internet. I mean, you have so much stuff at your fingertips. You just got to go learn stuff, but people are very linear and they want to learn. They want to say, well, I got to figure out what I have to learn so I can be successful. I said, life doesn't work that way. Things come randomly. And the more open-minded you are, the more interesting people you're going to meet, the more uh, opportunities you're going to have to do things and just throw yourself into situations. And when my wife and I travel, there's like a 80% chance I'm going to get some sort of really bad, uh, a digestive problem you know it's like <laughs> hey this is part this is part of the deal i'm gonna eat that hot dog out of the hubcap on the street <laughs> and we're just gonna go for it and and you do this stuff and it's just it just makes you really open-minded and uh, i just it's just it's just an attitude i guess that's brave man that's brave <laughs> no that, yeah, well, that's no. true story <laughs> wait, 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 i got uh, sick i got sick but i did it you ate a hot dog uh, out of a hubcap yeah well, it was more of a, a beef product. I'm not sure, but it was. Uh, <laughs> it had onions in it, and it smelled really good. Like, like Hormel's <laughs> potted meat but you product. Eat, yeah. <laughs> but we just, I just, we just get caught up in our comfort and and and, do, and talking to people that we know and going places we're familiar with. And there's there's so much more, so much more to see and so much more to do. But you just got to open your mind to that and just realize, you know what, I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm not going to always know what's going on. I'm not going to always have, you know, but you build confidence as you do that. We've been to, we've been to Northern Africa. We've been to Tunisia. 
you know, we went out to Japan and traveled with our kids and, you know, you just, you're in situations where you're like, well, I don't know what we're going to do now. I don't know how, where we're going to go to eat tonight, but we'll figure something out. And it's, uh, it's great memories. And it, that's how we kind of raised our kids is we are going to go do a lot of stuff and you're just going to have to figure it out. And it's opened their minds to be open to, you know, new experiences. Well, um, you mentioned Japan. Out of curiosity, did you happen to stop by the parks over there? Yeah, I've been there. Uh, I've been there three times, and the second time I was there, uh, I was recruiting, uh, helping recruit with the Mitsukoshi. That's they run the Japanese pavilion, mm-hmm. the, uh, Mitsukoshi department store. They run the food and beverage and, okay. and merchandise operations. So we participated in the interviews, and I went over there, and then we took our kids, and my wife and I went over. Um, a couple years ago and we went to Tokyo and we hiked Mount Fuji mm. and we went to Kyoto and did all stuff. And we spent a day in one of the parks. Actually, Valerie visited Etsuko, who was her roommate um, when she worked on the fellowship program at Epcot, who she hadn't seen in 30 years. Oh, that's and, awesome. <laughs> we met up with her and her kids and we spent the day in the park and, you know, they told all the stories about, you know, living in Florida and, and she's got friends all over the world now because they all, you know, worked and lived together. That's great, man. You no, know, I wanted to ask you, going back to the whole idea of um, going in and immersing yourself in the culture, that's something that you heard when Euro Disney first opened, and you were there, uh, that there were reports coming out that Disney was encountering problems with the cultural differences between the European guests and the cast members. I was curious, how tough was it? for Disney to make that connection with its audience originally? And how did y'all go about the process of it, you know, connecting with the european audience yeah we learned we learned a ton and i think every time we've opened a park we learn more and more and some of them are really obvious things and some aren't so obvious but when we opened the park in hong kong we made some assumptions on guest behaviors and we were wrong on some things and when we opened shanghai you know when you're in hong kong you have to think about feng shui Mm. and how things are laid out in the park and how things are laid out in, in the kitchens because um, that's a you know that's a real thing. It's part of the architectural plan. And in Something. France, I think um, we we you know we we went over, we opened the park, and the attitude then was because Tokyo was really the only the only other park that was open out internationally at that point. And we just said, look, we're just going to copy Walt Disney World. We're going to lay it out in France and do what we know how to do, and everything will be great. And then for the next you know probably two or three four years. We learned quickly about the differences. So we opened the park, for example, without beer and wine, and that lasted for like a month. Because, you know, <laughs> in, in France, people said, "Look, you know," and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I, I don't know if anyone ever said this, but we don't know who Walt Disney was, but he wasn't from France, and we drink <laughs> wine with our meals, and that's part of what we do with our families. And so, and it's funny because. Uh, the architects, I think, had designed the park knowing this was going to happen because we had plenty of room for the the beer and wine storage, and we got it put in pretty quickly. Wow. So that was one of those things where you say, should we do what Walt wanted or should we do what our guests want? Yeah. And uh, that's a constant conversation we have at Disney is you have this tradition and heritage you're, you're connected to, and that's what people love about it. But then you also say, but we have to be relevant and updated. And as long as what we're doing is not negatively impacting the guest experience, we should listen to our guests and we shouldn't move too quickly. But, you know, for many years, we didn't have facial hair. Right, because that right. was a, mm-hmm. there's this idea of a clean cut look of the Disney cast member, and then we it ended up there's a lot of cast we weren't hiring because they said they were very qualified, very talented, but they said, look, I'm not going to shave my mustache; it's part of my culture. Mm-hmm. And so we finally said we're we're missing out, 
And so we did some focus groups with guests and showed them photos. And we had cast members with and without mustaches. And no one commented on the mustache. And so we said, all right, it's time. It's time to make the change. Um, in, in, in Europe, uh, styles are different, obviously. That right. the typical stereotypically you know, at, at Walt Disney World, you want to get a T-shirt with the most the giant gra- the goofy graphic on it because mm-hmm. we're in the American culture we're loud and we like to show what we're. And in France, it's like you want to put a Mickey on it that's like you can hardly see on the shirt because it's very subtle. And so we we really transformed the the merchandise. And we learned about all the the, the um, eating habits, and you know we expected everyone to go to the parks to have breakfast, but lo and behold, they wanted to eat in the hotels, and so we didn't build the restaurants big enough. So we had to figure that out. But I would tell you, at the end of the day, all the Disney parks, people want to go with their families. They want to have these immersive experiences where they can escape and have great memories together. It looks different in every country, but that's a basic human trait, and that's where I, Walt Disney was really smart. He understood that dynamic, and that that has never changed, and I don't think it ever will. And as long as you can tap into that, you you know you have to you have to tweak things here and there behaviorally. But people still are going to put on the Mickey ears. They're going to go enjoy time with their kids and create these memories and and, and have fun. Well, uh, speaking of culture, and on behalf of the city of New Orleans and maybe even South Louisiana and the entire state of Louisiana, I don't know if you had a hand in this, but we thank you for having alcohol in the park. Yes. (laughs) Yes. We we, we appreciate that immensely. Yes. I grin like a Cheshire cat. Uh, we just got back from Disneyland, and Disneyland still has that. Like, you, you go to the, the restaurants, and you can't have alcohol. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but was Paris the first place? Was that the first Disneyland-style park that started serving alcohol? I believe it was. I, I'm, try, I'm not as familiar with what Tokyo did at the beginning and when, if and when they shifted, but I know this was a big deal because we talk about the castle parks, and those are sort of the – you know, the ones Disneyland was first and all the castle parks sort of have this aura about them. And so it was a big deal for us to go there. But um, we presented it and, and it opened actually with the Be Our Guest restaurant when it opened. Um, I wasn't even there yet, but they had pitched it and said, look, you know, our, we, we want it to be part of the storyline. We're not mm-hmm. trying to just um, throw alcohol in it. We, but guests, if they're going to have a nice meal, they want beer or wine with it. We don't serve hard alcohol. We don't have beer kiosks. And, um, yeah. But it, we, it, we wanted to make sure we led with it's complementing the meal and it's going to improve the guest experience and the dining locations. And uh, that was a good approach. And we, we continue to take that approach with all the table service. Speaking of having alcohol in the park, I think this is a perfect segue to go over to Epcot, right? Yes. They have some alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> and they, have a, they have a little bit. I'd say, yeah. A skosh. A skosh. A skosh. I love that part, too. Now, you were the operations manager at Epcot for, for a while. Could you explain to our listeners who may not be familiar with it what working in operations entails? Sure. So, I've, I've uh, Epcot's got a lot of history in our family. Cause like I said, my wife worked in the French Pavilion. She worked in retail there during the millennium. My first full-time job was in the Epcot parking lot mm-hmm. before I went to France. I was an operations manager there, and then I was the vice president of the park at one point. And uh, so I've done, you know, I've done a lot of the different jobs. When I was an ops manager there, we, um, I was uh, responsible for the American Adventure and the uh, uh, Japanese Pavilion. So I was uh, responsible for the daily operations, the the quick service locations, the merchandise locations, the entertainment, custodial, uh, and we got to run it. You know, it was like your little mini area where you were the GM and you got to run the area and I got to work with Mitsukoshi. They're a, they're an operating participant. Mm-hmm. So we got to work with them and, and, and talk about standards. Um, and then um, 
eventually when I became the vice president there, uh, you, once again, you are the way I thought about it is you're responsible for um, the, the, the daily experience for the cast members and the guests. And at Disney, we use the four keys. So I was responsible for the safety of all our guests and casts, courtesy, show, and efficiency. And you're, you're responsible for executing the plan every day and making sure you're delivering a consistent experience that is, you know, obviously um, very well, world-class experience because people are paying a lot of money to go. Mm-hmm. And every day was different. That was the fun thing about the job. Every single day was you're either planning for the next five years or you were dealing with a, a situation right here and now and everything in between. And so you had to really kind of balance your time between how much you're out walking in the park and just really on the ground seeing things and interacting with people versus when you needed thinking time and um, what work with Imagineering and finance to make sure you're hitting all your goals. So that that was the fun thing about the job. You really got to go from 10,000 feet to 10 feet and back up again every day. Well, you know what? Uh, can you sell a, a debate that me and my family have had in the past then as the operations manager of Epcot working in the Japan <laughs> oh, Pavilion. No, don't put him in it. Is it Teppanito or Teppanetto? How do you pronounce the name of the restaurant? Uh, I think it may be Teppanato. We're both wrong? <laughs> oh, Teppanato. Nice save, Dan. <laughs> that's a, that's nice a third pronunciation. Save. Ah. Teppanato. But it's Teppanato. definitely Yakitori House. Yeah. Oh, yes. That, we'll go with Teppanato. <laughs> I like this. It's, it's the table service restaurant that's up high there. You Tell, can call it that. It sounds very chic. Teppanato. It's a, you know, it's a really good restaurant. <laughs> that's some good tact you just you know put out there. I like that. Some good tap. I don't want to. I don't want to get in the middle of the family uh, discussion. <laughs> <laughs> we book it every time we go, and we're always like Teppanito, Teppanetto, and depending on the cast member, you could get a different response. So <laughs> it's I a great cur- restaurant. Yes, it's yes. a great restaurant. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, you were also uh, operations manager at Epcot at a very uh, interesting time in that history. I mean, you were kind of moving away from a lot of the more uh, educational attractions that were being closed and replaced with more thrilling attractions um like uh you know uh test track mm-hmm. came along mm-hmm. around this time and, and and whatnot so i was kind of wondering did you get a lot of backlash from fans like when you were taking fig like when epcot took figment out of imagination or they closed horizons or maelstrom uh, yeah yeah well i don't know if he was around for maelstrom but I mean, yeah, yeah you see what i'm saying here yeah, you know sure. working for disney it's difficult to manage the expectations of, of of a fan base that's fiercely loyal and they want new attractions but don't take away anything i love you know we'll, right ever changing right can you talk a bit on that yeah i mean you I, you said it exactly right it's people say you know what i want to go back and i want to have the memories i want anything to change because i have these memories that how great it was but I want new stuff. Otherwise, I'm not coming. <laughs> and so <laughs> you're always looking for okay. How do we how do we thread the needle? And um, and it's you're always you're never going to make a decision that's going to please everyone. Obviously, because right, a lot of times right. you know if you're if you're from you know if you're you, you grew up in the '80s, you love the '80s stuff, and then your kids may love a couple songs, but they're like that's not really my thing. That's not relevant to me. Mm-hmm. So you got to find these relevant experiences for everyone. And um, yeah, I, I mean, there, I I don't think there's any right answer. I think taking when we took Figment out, that was probably a mistake. I mean, don't get rid of the, you know, you can work him back in somehow. Mm-hmm. And we learn as we go. And uh, sometimes we'll, we'll make some creative decisions and, um, and, and they work. And sometimes pe- there's pushback and then people get used to it. And I just think generally, because we do thrive so much in creating memories and these moments for people, they, they hang on to that. It's like kind of going back to your house you grew up in. And when you get there, 
you know, they've changed the wallpaper, they cut the tree down, and it's not quite the same anymore. <laughs> but you want it to be the same because mm. there's comfort in those memories. Yeah, and, uh, truth. And so there's, we do, you know, we do some throwbacks to things, and I think they're they'll try to have little um, Easter eggs from the the former attractions. Mm-hmm. But um, I think you know you got you got to keep creating new things because, like I said, the new generation's coming through, and you may say, well. That was my favorite attraction. They're like, yeah, but it, it's really old. It, it's not fun. So you got to find the, the balance. You know, I asked this question of your dad. I said, what was the biggest fan backlash you got? And he said, without question, it was Mr. Toad. Like there, there was a oh, yeah. huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. He well, was there. In, in your years with Disney, what was the biggest fan backlash you, you've ever experienced when y'all gotten rid of something that people loved? Hmm. So I, you know, I got a lot of feedback on. I mean, people wishes. I mean, you proposed your wife at wishes. That yes. was a, a very emotional show for people, and there was so many memories. I mean, we had it I think for fourteen years, and so so many people saw it, and mm-hmm. it was such a great story. And so when we brought in um, Happily Ever After, um, you know, we heard from a lot of people. We got we got the mix. Some people said I swore that it was never going to be the best show again. Happily Ever After is great. I love it. And other people were like, why can't you have both? You know, it's like you can only do one show per night. Um, but we, we, def- we definitely heard, um, heard about that. Uh, but Mr. Toad, back in the day before there was all the social media and everything, I mean, they had planes flying over. They were hiring planes with banners, you know, save Mr. Toad. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was, uh, it was a big deal. So on one hand, obviously, it's kind of hard to manage that. But on the other hand, it's cool to work for a company where people are so focused on what you're doing because there's so much passion and, and ownership around it. Um, when I worked at uh, – I was a general manager at Fort Wilderness. I remember we were starting to take the totem poles out. And I remember I just said, okay, hold on a second. Before we do anything – we got to wait and announce we're doing this because there's some family that every year they come and they measure their kid against a totem pole and take a picture. Yeah. And this place is not ours. It's theirs. So let's make sure we, 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 we move slowly. And I've had guests meet me in hotels when I was there. They said, hey, you know, uh, so, Mr. So-and-so and Mrs. So-and-so want to meet with you. So I'd, I'd meet with them. They'd say, okay, look, you guys come and go through here at the GMs. You'll spend a couple years here move on. We've been coming here for 25 years. So we just want to tell you what we like and just just make sure, you know, don't mess stuff up. <laughs> and they, and wow. they'd walk out. I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'll call you if I want to do anything. But there's such a sense of ownership there, um, and you want to respect that. So you transitioned from um, being the operations manager at Epcot to managing uh, the resorts. And I'm curious because it, it seems like managing the resorts might be somewhat easier because it's Disney and, and people are mostly out and about in the parks. And by the time you get back to the room, you're exhausted. But then again, people tend to lose their minds when they're in hotels. How did working operations in the park compare to managing the resorts? I'll tell you, resorts, I learned a ton of resorts. Resorts is a hard business to run mm-hmm. uh, because as I, the story I tell people is, uh, the comparison is, um, I've never had a guest call me and talk to me for an hour about finding a piece of hair on Main Street. But I certainly <laughs> had that conversation at the All-Star Resort. Because wow. people, it's a very, um, it's a place where people expect there to be clean. It's an intimate space. Mm-hmm. They go back multiple days, so they get to see it again and again and again and compare it against the day before. And people are generally familiar with how a hotel operates. Okay, there's a lobby, there's a restaurant, there's a hotel room, there's a pool. Right. When you go to a theme park, it's overwhelming. I mean, there's just so much there. Even if something's wrong, it's hard to tell because it's just so magical and there's so much theming. But you go to a hotel, 
you have a sometimes a different mindset. So I learned a ton about detail, the mm-hmm. importance of uh, the attention to detail. Um, when I was a GM at the All Star Resort, the All Star Resort has almost six thousand rooms. So when you think about that, um, uh, you know if you clean ninety nine percent of the rooms every day perfectly, there's mm-hmm. sixty dirty rooms <laughs> at a ninety nine percent success rate. Wow. And you tell a front desk manager sixty families are coming down tonight to complain about a, a dirty room. That's way too many. One family yeah. is more than enough. And so the level of perfection it's just it's incredible how good it has to be and i learned a ton about attention to detail about how to motivate people and how to make sure i was present in the operation but also you have to hire the right people because in a six thousand room hotel you just can't like walk around every night and check all the rooms you know make sure <laughs> right. all you have to have a system in place and i learned a lot about that and to your point um you know, people, families come down and they're on vacation and they're in this hotel room together and they're, they're usually not together more than an hour or two a day and all of a sudden they're together like 12 hours a day. That doesn't always go well. <laughs> and uh, and so there's a lot of dynamics. But um, I learned a ton in resorts. It was uh, it was an eye-opening experience and it made me better when I went back to parks. Unbelievable. I mean, I, again, you would think that people, by the time they get back to their resort, would be so exhausted and spent from the day that they, I don't care if this bed has a hair in it, I'm going to sleep. Yeah, but they might be a little more crankier because they've gone in to, to have a retreat. That could be it too. And they're like, hey, I can't sleep well because there's this hair in my back. And I, <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah, a I mean, very you're system. sleeping there and you want, it, you want to feel safe and you want your kids to feel safe. And what I learned is, though, it's funny, it's, uh, it's uh, once again, coming back to this concept of a mindset, mm-hmm. when a guest would check in, if we had trouble, if we were real busy and there was a long line or that we had trouble getting a reservation, I'd always tell the cast, write their name down and call them later tonight and call them tomorrow and check in on them because they're going to have some issues with their experience. They said, well, why? Why do you say that? I said, because their, their mindset right now is, okay, if this didn't go right, my first impression, what else is not right? And they look for, and you, they see things that aren't right. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a great check-in and everything is great and you're and it's fast and everything is going really smoothly, you don't see all the little things that may, if the bus takes a little longer, you really don't think about it because you're in the right mindset. So mm-hmm. a lot of it is uh, your first impression when you check in a hotel, your first impression when you come to the auto plaza, it's really important you get a positive one because then you sort of, you, you look for all the good things as opposed to all the bad things. Right. And it's, there's a lot of psychology involved with that. Yeah, well, that's the first introduction you get to the Disney experience is generally when you're checking into your hotel for the first time. Like, I, like, I remember when uh, Magic Bands were first introduced to the parks. Like, that was uh, a thing. Like, when you checked in your hotel, it could take upwards of 40 minutes just to check in because, you know, the person there was really the first person you met that really was responsible for linking everything on that magic band and making sure that you had access to the parks, make sure your meal plans were taken care of. All that had to happen in that first interaction with that uh, initial cast member at your resort was key. Yep, that's exactly right. And we benchmarked against a lot of hotels in in other cities and like their process. And, you know, we did say, yeah, our our check-in is usually three to four minutes. And it blew our minds. How can that be? And what we realized was when you go to a hotel in New York, you're only checking in the hotel. You're not checking into New York. Right. Mm-hmm. You come to Walt Disney World, you're checking into Walt Disney World. And to your point, there's a whole bunch of connected systems, and we got to make sure you have all the information so you can take full advantage, and it, it takes a little bit longer. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, again, that magic band controlled every aspect of the guest experience. So mm-hmm. to have that go off seamlessly, at least as seamlessly as you can provide it in the beginning, 
I mean, you had to have an extreme learning curve for your cast members. And a good IT department. That they, with a good IT, right. But I mean, you've got millions of people visiting. You've got tens of thousands of cast members, I would think. I mean, Mm -hmm. how is it that you're able to prepare that many people? Like, there's so many problems that can occur that one little technical problem can uh, deprive you of some key aspect of your vacation. How do y'all do that when y'all have such a big rollout, like like the Magic Band? Yeah, it's... it's, uh I'm glad you had such a positive uh, memory of it because it was big. And to your point, it's not one of those things you can do slowly. You, you had to flip a switch and do a lot of it quickly because all the systems were tied in. But mm-hmm. I think a few things. One is um, we, we, we ramp up a ton of support when we're doing those big rollouts. So we don't just expect the managers. We're going to say, hey, keep running the front desk. And by the way, we're, you're going to have these magic bands start showing up. We have this big parallel organization that we bring on to just focus on that and let the um, operators just do their day jobs. Now, they still got to figure this out, but they have tons of support behind them, which that's a big deal. And that you spend money doing that, but it's important during those transition periods that you have that. And then um, a second thing is this idea of uh, cast empowerment. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we, we try to talk to people about their role and their purpose. And we tell the cast, you know, everyone here has a different role. Some people sell ice cream. Some people work in IT. Some people are vice presidents. Some people are servers in restaurants. Some people run attractions. Our purpose is all the same. Everyone is focused on making sure every guest has the best vacation they ever had. And so if you tell people that, they start to learn that, you know what, I can make exceptions and I can override it and I can send you in the park and go, you know what, just charge it to your room. We'll back off the charges and come back and let us know. And people start to get creative because mm-hmm. you can't give them a book and say, you know, and come up with every scenario because yeah. there's going to be so many different scenarios. So you just have to tell people, make sure guests walk away happy mm-hmm. and whatever it takes. And the, the really good cast members figure that out. And uh, I think the third thing is we also design the systems so – um, from a technical standpoint, that they would work in the offline mode. So if you know the, the fast passes, sometimes our, our systems will go offline for whatever reason. They 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 can keep working for up a, to a couple days because they constantly get backed up. Every touch point in the attractions has like two days worth of fast pass reservations in it. So if you know Las Vegas or something goes offline, we can continue to run fairly seamlessly, and you won't notice that the systems are down. Oh wow. Well, That's yeah, a lot yeah. of good beta testing. Not only did y'all get your cast members up to speed on that, but you got the guests. There are like my grandparents would never go near any any form of new technology. But when you walk in the parks now, you see older people on their cell phones booking their new fast pass. I mean, Disney didn't just ad- get their cast members to not just adopt but embrace this new technology. They got the the guests to do it. Yeah, there, there was a few things we had during the rollout. One was it's got to work. The mm-hmm. second one was the cast have to love it. And the third one was the guest has to love it. And that was another good visionary thing is don't make the guest do something they don't love to do. And if you can put a band on them, they don't have to have their wallet. They can just tap things to get stuff. They love that. So let's make sure that works. Yeah. Well, it's kind of uh, going along those same lines. Um, back on uh, show 167, we had, we had Rolly Crump on the show. And I remember him telling the stories of how the management of Disneyland was always appreciated him because he would consult with them when he was imagination, uh, imagining something to put into the park at Disneyland. Um, I, I know you've had several things that have been installed in the different parks that you've been man- managing over. Um, what did that interaction look like between you and the Imagineers uh, when something was to be installed, whether it was like a refurb or a whole new land, et cetera? 
Yeah, we've I, that's good. We've developed that over time. Um, I think at one point it was you'd get a call and saying, "Hey, we're putting this in your park and we're putting it here, and here's the project." And then we'd come up, of course, with, "Well, I've like 13 reasons that's a bad idea." Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, but what we've learned over time is if you can get everyone involved in the conversation way upstream during the creative phase of it and make sure that you're integrated early on, you, 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 you get much better product. You, get, you design it with a guest and cast member's point of view in mind, and you're able to get there. It's just, But when you do that, everyone has a responsibility. And the responsibility of the operator early on is not to come up with 13 reasons it's not going to work. You have to be a problem solver. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of times Imagineering says, well, we don't want to get operations involved too soon because they're going to tell us everything we, all these great things we're imagining, they're going to tell us we can't do. Mm -hmm. But we're Imagineers. We're supposed to imagine impossible things to do, and we can't have people in the room that are naysayers. So they kind of told us, we'll invite you to our creative meetings, but you better be supportive and you better look for solutions and not come up with why we can't do it. And so... I learned early on, okay, if I want to go to these meetings, I got to get out of the operator mindset and don't evaluate everything because we're in this blue sky phase right now. And as you move through it, you would start to say, okay, I think we could, it was a negotiation process. They'd say, do you think we can load and unload this attraction in this many seconds? And you'd go to industrial engineering and you'd say, what's the average guest do? Let's go look at similar attractions. And all of a sudden you'd have all these people answering questions and we'd be able to make the best estimates we could as opposed to someone in Glendale in a room just making some assumptions. And that, that's been really the success. And so they, they got us involved in a bunch of stuff early on and it's uh, helped immensely. Just stuff as simple as where do you put a door or how wide is the queue line? I mean, they're really basic things that really can make or break an experience just by design. And once it's built, it's built. It's really hard to modify afterwards. That, well, that goes back to the uh, Walt philosophy where it's like, don't tell me no because, tell me yes if. Right. And, right. and right. Yes if it's a big budget. That's a, that's a key. <laughs> well, so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of uh, leadership things that I've learned over the years. Just like, you know, yeah, okay, present, that there, uh, present the fact that there's a problem, but also present solutions. Solutions, yeah. And yeah. you're also, you're, you're always going to get a more positive interaction that way. Well, yeah, speaking of Walt, I got a question for Dan. Uh, you know, you, you hear a lot about Walt Disney. He wasn't... Um, he might praise your work to a, a fellow coworker. He wouldn't necessarily compliment you directly. Uh, the best you'd get out of him would be that'll work. What do you think about that form of encouragement? Do you believe in uh, overpraising the employees when they do a good job? Do you believe in like, well, you know, we don't want anyone to have a big ego. We want people to continue to try and rise to the challenge. I mean, what is your philosophy? I should say. Yeah. So there, I think what I've learned over time is. It has to be specific. You have to set certain expectations. So the expectation may be, hey, when you're, when you're at an ice cream cart and you're not selling ice cream, come out from behind the cart and be, uh, be physically available for guests to walk up and ask questions and make eye contact with people. Mm -hmm. And so that is the expectation. And so when someone does that, I don't let a moment go by where I don't walk up to them and say, hey, and I would always have fun with them. Why are you standing in front of this cart? I kind of make the tone like it was. They said, "Well, I was trained this way." I said, "Well, great job. You know, that's exactly <laughs> what we want." So I think you can't. And if I come in, you know, a few days in a row, and I see a cast member or one of my GMs, and say, "Hey, love having you here." Mm -hmm. You know, the first time, well, that was cool. The second time, the third time is like, okay, this sounds a little scripted. You're not giving me specifics. Like, I need why? Why do you love having me here? Mm -hmm. And so I'm. A, I think. I don't think we do it enough. I don't think we encourage enough, and I don't think we recognize people enough. Mm -hmm. But but when we do do it, we have to make sure it's based on specific behaviors and expectations that we set out. And uh, people thrive on that. 
and people, most people, you know, just knowing that someone recognized that they're doing something right is a big deal. Then you have other practical people like, look, don't recognize me. Give me a raise. <laughs> or give me something, you know? <laughs> everyone, everyone is motivated by different things. But I think generally, um, and especially, you know, if you stereotype generationally, mm-hmm. uh, this generation coming up now, it's a big deal. You, they need to be uh, praised and they need reinforced. It's not this idea where I come to work, I get paid on, so I should do my job. No one should tell me I'm doing a good job because I'm getting paid to do this. Uh-huh. I don't think that's the case. Humans need encouragement. It yeah. looks different. In France, it looked different than it looks in Japan, that it looks in Florida, that it looks in California. But people need to be reinforced that they are adding value. And I don't think you can do too much of it as long as it's sincere and it's specific. Well, you have so many cast members that come to work for Disney that, you know, are already walking in. They already have a love for the, the movies, the cartoons, the theme parks. And they already have an emotional attachment to Disney walking in through the gates. I mean, does that make your job easier when you have people who are just willing to – they already believe in the company. They, they want to do a good job for the company. Is that – or maybe their expectation is a little too high? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, th- I mean, obviously, there's an extremely strong culture – and a strong draw to the Disney brand. It's there's an emotional connection there that everyone, a lot of people have had over time. Some people do show up and they're like, um, they don't realize how hard the work is. Mm-hmm. And that's you know when I when I watch professional sports or I watch world class musicians or world class bands, they make it look easy. And that's what professionals do. They make things look easy. Mm-hmm. And so if we're doing our job right. The, the park should look like it's easy. We're all doing our thing, but it's, it's, hard, it's a hard job. It's physically hard. It's mentally hard. It's emotionally hard because the expectations are so high and there's so much um, kind of peer pressure on each other to do great job. And we have, we're carrying this um, this brand and this reputation of Disney. Um, but I think people definitely thrive on that. And it's uh, it's something that, you know, because the people at Magic Kingdom – there's a lot slower places to work, a lot easier places to work. And so the people at Magic Kingdom, they want to be there. You know, mm-hmm. they're working there and they just get you get wired on that. It's 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 such a huge operation. You you kind of get used to that adrenaline every day and you know what, we're just going to have thousands of people here today and there's nowhere in the world that's this busy and we get to do this. And it's uh but you got to be you have to be on your game because it's uh it's like I said it's pretty challenging. It's kind of almost like a professional sport. Yeah, um, well, kind of going along with like you know recognizing people and everything else, um, kind of bringing it back to you. Uh, one thing I always appreciate about the Disney Company is the fact that a person can start as like a frontline cast member and work their way up, um, which is something like you have done. You started out in the Epcot parking lots, which I, I definitely appreciate uh, Walt Disney World parking attendance and how efficiently they get the cars parked. Oh yes, that is absolutely awesome. Yeah. Um, could you describe your experience working your way up to the VP position? Like, how do those promotions come? How did you make those decisions to accept the promotion? What did that look like? Yeah, and so if you if you looked at most of the executives at Walt Disney World and operations, they've all come up through the ranks, and that's that's something I really like about our culture. Some people say, well, if you're doing that, you're not getting new ideas and you're not looking outside talent. And what I'd say is we do do that in certain areas, IT, marketing, uh, sales, innovation, that we, we, we take people from outside. But if, if you're going to lead a team at Walt Disney World, you know, where I talk about where the magic happens, it happens between the cast member and the guest. That's where we, all the value happens. That's where you decide whether this trip is worth it or not and all the hundreds of interactions you have. And if you don't understand that, uh, you really can't do your job. So that's super important. I think what happens is there used to be 
kind of like in the army, there was a list. If you get here by the hit, then you go to this job, you go to this job, you go to this job. Today, that's sort of changed. And today, it's kind of, okay, go out, work really hard, um, manage your career, and be very strategic about experiences. I had, um, I was trying to go through this the other day. I think I had 19 different jobs in the 26, 27 years I was there. And so <laughs> the thing is, you can't work towards a specific job because by the time you're ready for it, it may be gone. It may not even exist anymore. And so what I tell people is just focus on what you love doing, do it well. And if you're in a company like Disney where we're growing, we're going to need people. And we know that we promote 95, 99% of people internally in operations. And so you have a really good chance to move up. Um, and as I tell my leaders, there's two, there's two places to be. If you're on the short list, that's great. Every time a, a, a position comes up, if you're on the short list, eventually you'll get selected for a role because you're on the short list. If you're not on the short list, then you got to figure out how to get on the short list and how do you differentiate yourself from everyone else. And it's, uh, once again, it's working hard. It's being, uh, uh generous with your time. It's helping other people. It's just coming in every day and just being great. And, you know, and then um, I, I invested. I went back and did my MBA uh, eight years after I started working because I thought maybe that would give me a little bit of an advantage. And you just look for these diverse experiences. And hopefully over time, that'll help you get to that next that next level. But once you're on the short list, there's not much you can do except yeah. just hope that the fit and the, what they're looking for, you already have because you can't you can't change the experiences you've had. And at that point, it's just about right fit for the role. Right. And kind of going along with that, um, I, I teach, uh, I'm a senior academic and career advisor over at Tulane University here in New Orleans. And one of the things that we do say is that major does not equal career, except for a few cases like engineering, you know, pre-med, stuff sure. like that. Um, right. you're, you mentioned earlier in our interview that your major in college was political science. And I also saw on the Big Fat Panda interview that Jason Kirk, your replacement, comes from an industrial engineering background. So I have a couple of questions regarding all this. Uh, could you men- are you able to mention any of the other backgrounds that maybe your fellow management executives may have had? And could you speak to the whole uh, concept regarding major doesn't equal career kind of concept? Sure. I mean, um, Don Robinson at one point was the executive vice president of um, of Walt Disney World. And he was a chemistry major. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my dad was a dropout from Oklahoma State University. Yes. So he, right, was, yeah. you know, he, he didn't have a college degree. Um, we have people that have had business development, um, and like I said, industrial engineering, analytical backgrounds that they have really strong leadership skills. That's, the, that's sort of the best combination. Have an analytical background and then be able to lead a park. So you can look at it from an empathetic point of view and a very uh, – kind of analytical numeric point of view um and that's 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 a great combo but and then uh, there's a lot of executives um who have started um uh, phil holmes started at the haunted mansion was his first job uh, jim mcphee uh who's my leader when i left was the uh he started in parking at epcot also so a lot of people i think most people i think when they joined disney like there, there wasn't a, a in a hundred years. I never would have imagined I'd be the vice president of Magic Kingdom. There's like no way. I mean, just you just can't imagine that. It's just too big, and it's just too. And but you keep getting experiences. You keep doing different things, and all of a sudden one day, um, you know, when I got offered, I'm like, I, I'm ninety percent sure I can do this job. <laughs> you know? And then then you jump in and you just start doing what you've always done, and you learn along the way. But you have to, you know, you have to stay grounded. And do the same things you did at your first day on the job is just taking care of basics. And then you got to learn how to 
uh, mature and learn more and um, you make mistakes and you correct those and you keep going through it as you get more confidence you can take on more and uh, it doesn't happen fast you know it, it, it you have to take time if you really want to enjoy the ride and do a good job when you move to that next level were you ever like confident when they when they promoted you to a newer higher position on on, on the scale did, did you ever feel like i'm ready for that i've got that vice president of the magic kingdom i can handle that i, I was just did hollywood studios i just did epcot i can handle that or were you always was it intimidating going into it oh every time every yeah, time every time you'd go in with the sense of okay i'm gonna make this work but i have a doubt and i'm just not sure you're just not sure you're like i've seen other people do it but that first meeting you have where you're at the head of the table and the, all the people sitting at the table is a job you had yesterday, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really intimidating moment. And I, what I've <laughs> learned is be candid. And I've, I've, I've gotten the first meetings go, hey, guys, I'm pretty terrified. So let's make this work. I really appreciate <laughs> it. And, uh, and it's like, you know, you don't, a lot of times people are like, well, I need to look strong and I need to. But people love vulnerability. They want to know that you're human and you're here and you're going to make it work and you're counting on them to help you. And then they'll do whatever they, they, they can do. But yeah, there's always a, a sense. And even growing up when I played sports and did things, if I wasn't nervous or a little uh, a lack of self-confidence going into something, that was a problem. I think that's a great driver of performance. So set the bar low. <laughs> <laughs> amongst that, the people that you work with, right? Wow. That's, yeah, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I respect that. It's because like, a lot of times you go at a job and if you portray something that you're, you're still trying to work towards, people can still sense that, right? I mean, they can, sure. they can feel that, that, that confidence level. So I like yeah, well, that. The conversation I have, I have with all the new leaders who come in, I tell them, look, the first thing you're going to want to do is – come up with some really smart approach or really smart concept or make some improvement because you want to justify and prove that you're supposed to be in that job. You are supposed to be in that job. We promoted you. We put you in the job. We know you can do this job. Mm -hmm. You don't have to prove anything except start to build relationships so you're going to have sustainable relationships that's going to help you really drive this place. So the first few months, I tell the GMs, I say, I don't want any new ideas from you. All I want you to do is meet everybody, get to know everyone on a personal level, take tons of notes, and when you're when you're ready, when they're ready to listen, they'll start asking you. And that's when you can start changing and doing things. And it's it's hard because you want to show how smart you are, how much experience you have, or how much you're you know, you should have that job and it's not the way to go. I was gonna say, um, I like the fact that you said, Hey, you could be uh, vulnerable and just say, Hey, look, I, I wanna be here. Just got to figure out how the system works. So my personal question is, because I've experienced this uh, a lot, did you ever get a lot of, uh, how would you say, uh, hazing when you got switched to all these various positions? Well, I wouldn't say hazing necessarily, but what I, I learned early on is, you know, I would always pay attention who sent me a note and congratulated me and welcomed me and who didn't. And, le- and I just wanted to reach out to those people who maybe didn't reach out as quickly and make sure those are the ones I took out to lunch first and had a conversation with and said, hey, how are you feeling about the change and hit it head on? Because um, you know, everyone, every time something changes, there's a lot of dynamics. Some people believe they should have gotten the job. Why was it you? And you know, am I going to support this guy? And uh, it's that whole thing. You got to reach out to everybody. And um, and yeah, you, the, the, fun, the fun part is you, you end up putting a costume on and you show up to location and the cast, the trainer loves looking, going, hey, you got the wrong shoes. You know, it's like, <laughs> all right, I know I'm the vice president, but 
I got the wrong colored shoes. I didn't know what shoes to wear. Well, you know, <laughs> we usually will send someone home for that. We'll, we'll let you, let it go today. But, you know, because th- they want to hold you accountable. But that's great because they want you to role model the standard you're holding them accountable to. And I think it's awesome. Well, I wanted to follow up on what Eli was asking you, Dan, because I kind of found that fascinating working with uh, coworkers who might not have uh, a good idea about new policies that you're implementing, that kind of thing. I, I remember once reading that you had an issue with the, the janitors who didn't like a new policy where you used uh, the iPhones to track garbage cleanup and they sent you like a pumpkin i think it was for around halloween time that's what i read now i'm not sure if this is real or not but i mean maybe you can expand on that a little bit more oh yeah i remember that pumpkin (laughs) is that true yeah in that case the question was why are you doing this do you not trust us to do our jobs Uh right that was the message and so we had to go back to them and say look we want to use technology to be better at what we do and we and uh we, we explained to them what we're doing and we had to reassure them you know what? We're not using these to find out where you are. We're using these to, for you all to be able to know where to go, mm-hmm. what trash cans to empty. For 45 years, you've been going in the same route, emptying every, going to every trash can, whether it's full or not. Mm-hmm. We have technology now to tell you what trash cans to go to and empty. And uh, it was change management. Every time we change, there's different levels of pushback, I guess I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had a confidential voicemail. Most of the executives of Walt Disney World have a confidential voicemail number. Anyone can call it and leave a voicemail, and they can leave their name or not leave their name. But it's a way to talk directly to the executive and tell them what's on their mind. And uh, I'd get some, you know, I'd get a couple calls a week on, "Hey, this is working well," or "I've called in this three times and it hasn't been fixed," or "My manager's not treating me fairly, and I don't know what to do." And but it was a great way to have them have an outlet to get to someone with authority, mm-hmm. so you could help them work through it. The thing I love about that, though. Because um, the, the worst kind of uh, resistance is the passive resistance. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to not let it work. Okay. In this case, I was so happy when that pumpkin showed up. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, they're not afraid to tell me exactly what they think about it. They're giving me a chance to react. And they're telling me they got a problem. So now at least we have a common ground. We can work on it. A lot of people don't even say anything. They're mm-hmm. like, yeah. Oh, I dropped the uh, I dropped the iPhone in the toilet again. We don't have a good carrier. <laughs> I guess this project's <laughs> not going to work. And all of a sudden, you're you're dealing with something you don't know how big the the, the issue is. So um, I, I that's I, a lot of times I welcome that. I want people to speak up without fear of repercussions because you may not say it, but as long as you're thinking it, it's going to impact your ability to perform. So I want to know what's on your mind. And I'm either going to tell you we'll make a change, or I'll tell you nope. This is what we're doing, and we feel good about it. And so you just kind of got to get on board. So, so two questions, real quick. Can you one? Can you tell our listeners what the pumpkin said? Well, you probably remember better than I do. I, I, I'm sure. I think it had something that was very um, ironic and very sarcastic. If I remember vaguely, it was something about. I don't know. Tell me what it said. Cause I can't remember, but I know it's probably pretty funny. What I read, it was something like "death to seniority." <laughs> oh now, boy! I, wow, I wasn't as funny and ironic as I yeah. remember. <laughs> I cannot imagine the word seniority written on a pumpkin. That's just that's got to be a pretty big pumpkin. So I was pretty sure the story was wrong, but there was a pumpkin. So I, I'm trying to figure out where truth meets story. That that was kind of I was hoping yeah, that I you could tell it was me. something a little funnier, like you know, like this new program is scarier than Halloween or something. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was funnier than that. <laughs> So just to clarify, I was able to find the original article. It, it was rest in peace, seniority. That's what there it's, you go. That's what it's. So that sounds about right. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> That's a that little line, yeah. There was a little play on words as opposed to the <laughs> statement of death to seniority. That, that, a little, uh, yeah, that, was, that did sound a little severe. My yeah, bad. it's a little rough. Good. Um, <laughs> well, is there something that you worked on that you helped put into place that the public embrace that you were really happy with? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. People have asked me that. And um, when, when I was thinking that, you know, I was, I was heavily involved in, you know, happily ever after and working with the team and, you know, but at the end of the day, it's a huge group of diverse talent that pulls all this stuff off. And so, you know, as the vice president there, you can say, I get all the credit and all the blame for everything that happens. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the way it is. But my, the, the thing, you know, at Disney, we always talk about what's your legacy going to be. And I'm really proud of a lot of projects we've done and things we've put in place. And, but for me, um, we have a really cool um, a training program at Magic Kingdom. And I put this in place at all the parks mm-hmm. um, for frontline cast members who are trying to figure out their career and where to go next. Because Disney's such a big place sometimes, it's kind of hard to figure out what your next career path is going to be. We put in a class that you could go to outside of your work hours and we'd bring in leaders to talk about careers. We teach people how to network. We teach them how to build resumes, interviewing, and so help people figure out to find their path. We had a, a program for all our frontline leaders. We take them to Disney University for the day, and have we, all the executives would host the events, and we'd work on how to give feedback and organizational skills, and we'd buy them lunch. And so all the levels, we sort of had this investment program and people to help invest in themselves and invest to train and develop themselves to be better. And that for me is like the thing I'm most proud of because, um, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to downplay all the cool stuff we build, but mm-hmm. it's the people part for me that I really was passionate about. And I got the, the biggest charge out of helping people do well. Conversely, is, is there anything that you helped enact over at Disney World that you thought would catch on, but didn't quite? Um, yeah. so I, uh, when I was at, uh, an ops manager at Epcot, this was back in like 1998. I was, um, one of my responsibilities was outdoor vending. I ran all the ice cream carts and churro carts and everything. Mm-hmm. And I had an idea They had these backpacks and you could put like two cases of contour bottle beverages in it uh-huh. and put it on a, as a backpack and walk around and sell, sell your um, drinks out of it. Mm-hmm. And so before we started it, I said, well, I want to do it a day and just see how it is. And I made it like 30 minutes before like my back and legs were about to crumble. I'm like, all right, I'm glad we didn't kill any cast members doing this because this was a stupid idea. So, um, and we, we, had, we had a lot of those moments. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd come up with this idea of, hey, this is really going to be big. And then you know, no one wanted it. So, um, but th- that's the cool thing. It's, it's like you know, we like to have this expression, fail fast. Go try something. If it doesn't work, pull the plug and move on and don't try to fix it. And if it's not a good idea, it's not a good idea. Um, and we've had, um, we've had moments. But the cool thing about Walt Disney World, like the magic band process and all that, it was going to work. No matter what happened, we were going to make it work and we were going to get it fixed because we had, to, we had to. It was such a big mm-hmm. initiative and a big investment. And we were going to do whatever it took to get there. And, um, but yeah, I'm just, there, there, there are a lot of pieces and parts of things we've tried before. And the, the guest acts a lot differently a lot of times than we think they're going to. And uh, we, we look at each other and we're like, all right, who came up with this idea? <laughs> well, at least y'all are willing to be your own guinea pigs. I mean, and, and practice on right, yourselves right. first. But, you know, this was something uh, coming off of our, our most recent trip. We just got back from Disneyland uh, two days ago. 
No, yesterday. I'm sorry. It was yeah, yesterday. Yeah, it was, it was yesterday. It was, yeah. I'm sorry. The time zones. Jet lag. Wow. Yes. This is something me and my wife were talking about, and I was curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, so many of the cast members that we encountered were so extroverted, and they did such a great job in making us feel good, making my child feel good. It was her birthday, and she was having a blast. Um, I was wondering, can you be shy and be a Disney cast member? Yeah, that's uh, hard. we talk about that because we we do we do recruit people who are extroverted and have big personalities um and it's it's not a job requirement but if you're not extroverted and or don't learn how to do that it's a very stressful job because if you're an introvert and you're out in the middle of the park every day greeting thousands of people i mean that's it's a tough job now we do have jobs like we talk about on stage and backstage we have lots of roles at Walt Disney World. They're not all guest-facing. So we have lots of introverts. And we have lots of people that do different things. But if you're going to be in the park, uh, you have to get really comfortable with engaging people all the time. And once again, if you're an extrovert, you thrive on that. You get more energy. And if you're an introvert, it could suck the life out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about picking the right career path also. Not everyone can work at Disney. Just like not everyone can be an engineer and not everyone can work at a bank, uh, you have to have a certain co- sort of – uh, predisposed skill set and attitude, and you could maybe you can make it, but you're not going to enjoy it, and you're not going to thrive. And mm-hmm. so we we put a lot of emphasis on hiring people who are going to enjoy the environment, and they're gonna they love working on teams. One of the questions I asked people, and Meg Crofton taught me this question when she was president here. She'd say when she interviewed people, she said, "How big is your need for independent working?" Mm-hmm. And some people right away would say, "Oh yeah, I really like working independently." She said, "Well, okay, the interview's over. We're glad you took the interest. <laughs> no one works independently at Walt Disney World." They're like, "Can I change my answer?" Can <laughs> <laughs> uh, I phone a friend? You, yeah, you work. You work with teams, and nothing nothing gets done at Walt Disney World by one person. I don't care what role you're in. Yeah, you got to right. work with a group of people. And um, and so that that that's important. So yeah, being an introvert and working in in frontline operations, that's it's not easy. Well, as we're kind of moving towards wrapping up here, I do have a couple of questions from our Moicans, our followers uh, that listen to the show, and one of them kind of goes along with what you were kind of talking about recently. Um, uh, Christopher Sullivan wants to know uh, if you could comment on the importance of frontline employees, maybe even guest facing, uh, to a corporation, specifically what Disney does right and what other companies don't, won't, or can't, or what could they could do better. Yeah, well, I think we we have something we use called the uh, the chain of uh, the value chain, mm-hmm. and so a lot of companies. You know the the end product for companies. You you exist to do a lot of things, but mainly you're here to make money for your mm-hmm. stockholders or your shareholders or reinvest. But that's the end of the chain, and that's not what you don't focus on. That you have to go way upstream. And so what our value chain is is you have to start with uh, leaders who create a really great environment to work in. They 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 value people. They respect them. They give them their training. They're positive, and if they do that. And you hire the right cast members; they're they're more likely to be motivated and feel respected and feel valued, and they're going to do a better job because they you, they live in an environment where they feel like they're they're, they're they can do well. That's going to reflect on the guest. When the guest walks up to that cast member, they're going to do a great job because they're highly motivated because they feel valued. The guest is going to get a great experience. The guest is going to rate the experience, and if it's excellent, 
their chance of returning, our intent to return is our number one most important thing and, and for most businesses, and it definitely is at Walt Disney World. We, you, we have to get you to come back. We can't yeah. have everyone in Louisiana just come once. There are not enough people. <laughs> so you got to come back. So we have to give you – we can market to you all we want, but the best marketing is the experience you have. And if you decide to come back, um, then uh, – we make money. And so, but you have to start way upstream. And a lot of people want to short circuit that and say, well, I just got to figure out how to make the money. And say, no, no, you got to focus on the culture first and work downstream. That's how you get it. It's very indirect. So I would tell you that, um, and Disney's, Disney's really good at it, but we ha- we could be so much better. It's just when you have so many cast members and we talk about empowerment and uh, the problem is in a place that big, you have to have lots of guidelines in place and lots of rules. And so when you start talking about empowerment, people get nervous. Well, there's rules in place. And if I make a decision outside the rules, am I going to get in trouble? And so we're always reiterating, look, there's rules and there's guidelines, but they're meant to be broken. They're meant to be bent. And as long as you're doing it on behalf of the guest and you're, it's a common sense um, you're going through the four keys and you're making a decision on the behalf of the guest. If you go too far, we may coach you, but we're not going to get rid of you and we'll, 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 we'll you know, coach you to make you better. So I just think we underestimate the power of that all the time. And you all call credit card companies, you call healthcare companies. And I, uh, sometimes I get someone on the phone and you know they do they do an okay job. And sometimes I get someone who's not helpful at all. And sometimes I get that person like, you know what, we're going to take care of this. Give me your callback number in case we get disconnected. Let me find that. I'm going to transfer you, but I'm going to stay on the line until like, the other person's on the line. And the, the experience is totally different. And uh, I rate that company by the experience I had with that employee. And uh, I don't even know who the vice president is. I don't know who the general manager is. I don't know what software they're using. I don't know what technology they're using, but I know that person. So people ask me about the experience of that company. I'm like, well, when I, every time I talk to them, they seem to have really – competent people have a great attitude. So that's a good company. So I think it's incredibly important. And uh, we don't, I think executives a lot don't spend enough time looking at that level and reinforcing that level of cert- of where the, the guest and the, the employee interaction happens. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I, I have an, another question from one of our listeners, uh, Rachel Roberge, and this was seconded by the Raz. And uh, there are a couple of things. Uh, she says, if you would comment on it, I would love a yay or nay on the theater project in Magic Kingdom. And also maybe a commentary on the pirate changes. Oh, <laughs> yes. wow. Well, they would, right. uh, they would ask that. They, yes. These two listeners, they, they definitely would ask that. And I love them for it. Bring it. Yes. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> awesome. Yes. The theater project, um, I think, um, you know, that was because everyone knows about that project. It was a big deal that it kind of got pulled back. But there have been hundreds of projects that have been considered at all the parks that never, you know, got to the public, and they're on a shelf at WDI, and we're going to do them someday. Mm-hmm. But it was just um, sometimes it's either the cost, or we look at the value, or we look at you know what we can probably do something that's going to be better um, and going to deliver more value in the moment. And we decided with that project that it was with all the things we're doing at Magic Kingdom. Personally, and I think we concluded, you know what, we should we should focus on attractions. A theater would have been great, but I think when you think about people that go to Magic Kingdom, mm-hmm. um, attra- family attractions is where people expect to have experiences together. And so I'm not, uh, you know, that is, it's, it's an incredible design. Pete Carcillo was the Imagineer who designed it. I mean, he went to Kansas City. He took uh, samples of the bricks. He took the architecture. It's an incredible design. And there's no doubt in my mind it's going to be built eventually. It may be at Magic Kingdom. It may be in Shanghai. It may be in some park that hasn't even been built yet. But there'll be a time and place for that. Um, and then uh, I think on the Pirates one, 
you know, this this is that idea that you were talking about Walt Disney, you know, back in the day. Is it is it okay to not, you know, encourage people? Well, he owned the place, so he can do whatever he wants. But in today's world, that probably wouldn't go very well. Mm-hmm. He'd probably have to change because of people have, you know, evolved in their point of view and they've become um, kind of more, I don't want to say enlightened, but the, the expectations have changed. And so we just recognize the fact that um, you got this this scene, and I know people say, well, don't ignore history because, you know, women used to get auctioned off. It's like, well, yeah, but that's not necessary. We don't have to tell that story. And if I'm a little girl going through that attraction, do I want to see that or do I want to see this kick butt redhead pirate that's like empowered and can like hang with the guys and i think that's a great thing and we're here to sort of um, you know um be able to shift people's thinking on things and have role models and you've seen that with the princesses right yeah they're much less reliant on the princes now and they're much more reliant on themselves and so you could say well why are you changing the fairy tales been around for hundreds of years it's because we want people to tell that story and we have expectations now that women are equal and they can do as much or more, and that has evolved, and that hasn't always been the thinking. And so, I think our stories have to evolve. And I'm not at the end of the day, people can agree or disagree with the change. And once again, I love working or used to work for a company that um, people were so passionate about changes happening. But um, in my mind, um, I think it was a, it was the right thing to do. Having you know a daughter who I'm like, you know what, you do whatever you want to do, and you don't worry about what anyone says, and you got to reinforce that all the time because because I know that. You know, she she does great, but she always has this confidence in her mind. Is she good enough? I'm like, how could you not be good enough? You're great at what you do, but there's a doubt there. And uh, I think we have a responsibility to be role models. No, well, absolutely. It's just like the Dora Milaje in, in Black Panther. I mean, you know, that's that's an incredible role model. Uh, for I have three daughters, so an incredible yeah. reminder for those daughters. Well, you know, and, and Elizabeth, uh, the Raz, I mean, she was one of the people who first enlightened us and said, she didn't like riding pirates because of that scene. Mm-hmm, yeah. And we were like, what do you mean? She's like, well, they're auctioning off women. And it just never really dawned on us. Yeah, she brought the whole human trafficking yeah. thing and the whole thing. I was like, wow, well, there's wow. a yes. Yeah, I've talked to, um, I've talked to a few uh, panels um, uh, at Women's Unlimited is a, is a nonprofit that we work with who um, do women's programs. And we've had some panel discussions at, uh, at Disney I've been on. And I did a lot of studying beforehand, and, and I didn't want to go in and pretend I was an expert on how women should be in the workplace. But I saw a TED Talk, and there was a, a great line, and I, it, I took it to heart, was it said, privilege is invisible to those who have it. And yeah. so the way you all are talking about that, yeah, is a white male going through there. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's a fun scene because mm-hmm. I, I have privilege and I never think about those things. And there's a lot of things I have privilege on and I don't second guess them because it's just normal. But it's not necessarily the case for other people. And so I think sometimes it's just lack of self-awareness or it's sort of a blind spot we have. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, it's tough. Uh, a couple more questions here. And um, Kirk Landry, Office of Weekend, he asks, is there any truth to the longstanding Moana coaster in Adventureland rumors? I've never heard about a Moana coaster. <laughs> so <laughs> I can tell you, I could say no comment, or I could say something, but uh, unless they developed it in the past 10 days. <laughs> there you go, Kirk. Absolutely. There you go. Sorry, Kirk. Yep, sorry. Um, what, what is the coolest uh, thing that you've seen put on the page? You were like, oh, I wish you could have got that, and it just didn't happen. Or, uh, And what is the one that has happened that you're most looking forward to coming back and seeing now that you're a, uh, a citizen, I guess you would say? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, when I was at Studios, uh, you know, we had been working on the whole Star Wars land concept. 
and mm-hmm. we've been doing a lot of planning and um, we had done a year and a half, almost two years of work on um, Star Wars Land. And then one day they came back and said, hey, um, Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy had a meeting and they concluded that there's more Star Wars story ahead of us than behind us. And so we are not going to do the traditional, a lot of traditional stuff we thought about doing. We're going to do something that's going to be in the future films. And it's going to be more relevant to everybody. And I just, and I couldn't believe it. I went home and I said, oh my gosh, I can't believe we've been working on this for two years. And all of a sudden, and the, the Imagineers, you know, everyone was like, oh man. And they came in the next day and they're like, we got five more ideas for the new land. I mean, they get right <laughs> back on it. But uh, that uh, that was a big change. But I can't, I got to work the construction site the day, like a couple days before I left. <laughs> And it's just going to be so awesome. I mean, it's just going to be the way they've uh, have the elevations, and of course, Florida's flat, so you you have these elevations, and the um, the I think we learned a lot about technology and how to create these environments of Pandora. Um, it's going to be it's going to be really cool. Yeah, so I can't wait to see that. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. And um, just a, a few more fun questions, just kind of end up our interview here. Um, uh, and this was also doubled by the Raz. Uh, she also asked, uh, and I ask, uh, do you have a favorite attraction in the park? So I've gotten this question a few times, and I do. And I think, I don't know if people say, well, that's a cop-out. But I loved the uh, Dream Flight attraction where Buzz Lightyear used to be. Oh, no, yes. No, ab- amen, dude. <laughs> no, you just wow. you just spoke to me. That is Tell awesome. Yeah, it was just such a cool that. attraction, and it was like travel, and it just hit on all the emotional pieces for me, and the mu- I love the music, and so uh, that was that was it, and now it's gone. That's and not I can't a, believe they yes. took it away. That and is I'm not a have, cop out. Plane, Amen to I'm you. I'm going to fly a banner, yes. and I'm going to say, save Dream Flight. <laughs> save! <laughs> Hashtag save. Preach it, brother. <laughs> I swear, that is awesome. Well, who, is your, who is your favorite Disney character? Can we ask you that? Tigger. Love Tig- Tigger. Oh, oh, you just why? made our, you saw our, that tie. Our, the fr- our friend that you voted for was a Tigger. Well, that's Gigi. He, right he was a friend of Tigger to be friend specific. Of yes, Thank yes. You. Um, yeah, it must have been the way he moved. I don't know. <laughs> great character. You just made a lot of people's day. Well, he moves quite sexily, so it's great. He's awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, do you have a favorite Disney drink? I, and I ask that because we always preach about the Lapu Lapu yes. at the Tambu Lounge in the mm-hmm. Polynesian Resort. Do you, did you do you have a favorite Disney drink? Uh, uh cold beer is my ah. favorite drink. And I like wherever it. they have it. I'm good. So a, you're a genius. You're a genius. <laughs> Don't let he, nobody he, tell you different. You just touch like Eli's to heart. Simple. There Gotta you be go. right there. Right there. Hit um, the hard three three times. Do you have a favorite <laughs> resort? Um, I would say the Contemporary. That's where I did my college program. And I worked at the front desk of the Contemporary. Okay. And it's where I took my kids. We'd go do the uh, the tubing on the lake behind there. And it's just, it's a great place. We've had a lot of experiences there over time. Awesome. Awesome. Um, do you have a favorite food? And I ask that because each of one of us have a favorite food. Um, I, Eli has the turkey leg. I have the carrot cake cookie. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny has the... I had the smoky like, yeah, portobello mushroom yeah, soup. Yeah, the same mushroom, soup. mushroom soup, yeah. At Fort Wilderness, yeah. Do you have I'm a favorite food massage. at Disney? Well, the um, I love carrot cake, and and I can't remember specifically. Where do we sell the carrot cake cookie? Well, now it's at Hollywood the Trolley Studios. Stop. Well, yeah, it's Hollywood Studios, but now it's at the Trolley Stop Cafe. 
It used to be at the Rider Stop, and it got moved a couple of times. Rider Stop. Oh, that's my- right. That's right. Okay, I remember it now. Yes. Um, and the the other one I love is the um, you got the upside down pineapple um cake with the Dole Whip on top of it. I don't think a lot of people know about that. We added that about probably nine, ten months ago. That's Where right. is this um, wonderful creation? <laughs> yeah, and, and can you say it slowly? Yeah. <laughs> Please. So you, you get you, you know where the Dole Whips are at Adventureland. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, you can go there, and we have a upside-down pineapple cake we put on the bottom of the bowl, and then we put Dole Whip on top of it. Have mercy. Yeah. Mm, all so, hidden secret. I'm writing this down. Sorry, that's the silence. Yeah, and and I don't. It's not a secret menu item. I think just the Dole Whip is so popular, people don't realize there's that option. Uh, oh my! I don't think I've realized that option. No, once uh, they moved away from the like the lounge is my favorite. Like the um, not the lounge. What do you call it? The uh, the Sunshine Terrace. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that was my favorite. But that it, well, well, it was a, it was it moved from whatever what that little tavern was that used to congest that area. But that tavern was so awesome. It was cool. Yeah, but it did congest that area. To be fair, yeah, it, it, you're going through Adventureland. People will be in line for the Dole Whip. Yeah, um, it was popular. The Dole Whip. They they moved it and because. I mean, if more people want it, don't make them wait in, wait in line. And you can also use the mobile order to order it now. So you can order in advance, walk up, and just pick it up and go. Oh, have wow. mercy. Yeah. No, that's good. And, and speaking of, like, ordering stuff, uh, do you have a favorite restaurant in Walt Disney World? The, hmm. We've had uh, Teppan Addo. How do we pronounce it? I forget now. <laughs> oh, well, right. now you're messing me. I thought it was Teppan Addo. Teppan We'll go with that. But we've had uh, – our kids love that place, and we've been there for many, many birthday celebrations, and they make the little onion volcano. I mean, yes. you know, that's a big tradition we have. That's my favorite part. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, one question personal to me. Uh, uh, have you played the mini golf courses at the parks? Uh, I mean, in, in Disney World? Yes. Did you play the, the Fantasia uh, Fairways? And, yeah. Did you play that one? The Fantasia I, Fairways? I, is it supposed to replicate like an actual golf course? Like the one on the left that's like serious, like 100, 100 feet foot putts? Yes, yes. the one that like that absolutely one. kills you when you try to not hit a bumper. Or, I mean, there's no bumpers, so if you miss, you miss. Right. Yeah, I've played that one. Yeah, who do I have to blame for the design of that one? <laughs> <laughs> that one hurts. Let me tell well, you. you know, people say, you know, you go to the mini golf, they're like, I wish I had that something more challenging. Then they do that, and everyone complains about yeah, it. Wow. So it's a <laughs> yeah, wow. No, yeah, it's like extremes. It's like one from the other, you know? It's like, ah, I can't keep it on the course. I can't keep it on the green. It's not your fault. I'm sure it's not your fault. It's probably the course's fault. Yeah, it has to be. Nice. Other than, I mean, I suck at golf, so it's okay, <laughs> you know? Um, and we have one last question, and this is something we ask all of our guests on the show. Um, well, before we get to this one last You got question, one more? Okay, okay, okay. I, I just got to ask. Okay, go so ahead. Have you given any thought to writing a book or you know, doing a, a, a weekly podcast or anything like that? Yeah, you should. Yes. All of, all of the above. Uh, all of the above. I, yeah, you know, by, uh, when I was considering this change, I, I chatted with my dad about it, and he was an awesome mentor. And he said, look, I've been doing this for 12 years now, and I figured out a lot. Now, he's still learning a ton, but uh, I was able to really... <laughs> see how to kind of put some of the stuff in place. So um, what I've learned is take it slow, do it right, and don't – and I'm, I mean, I mean, you guys know better than anyone the, mm-hmm. the preparation and you want to do everything right. So, um, yeah, I got my, my website, dancockerel.com, is mm-hmm. up. And so I have that now. I'm doing an article of the week. If people want to sign up for the article of the week, I, I, they can subscribe to that. 
Yep. And then um, I'll, I'll probably be moving into something a little bit longer. And I certainly would love to do a book. And I'm talking right now with a couple people about how to write it. And I got some ideas of the the topic and eventually maybe a podcast. So yeah, all the above. I'm, I'm kind of real wide open right now and kind of how I just want to keep um, keep this career going. And it's funny, you mentioned the beginning. Yeah. I don't know how the word retirement got out there, but I felt really old when that word was used. <laughs> yeah. I was like, she said, you're retiring. I thought you had to work 15 more years before you can get your pension. <laughs> I said, yeah, there's something wrong there. We are not retired. We have transitioned our lifestyle. Yes. Yes. Thank I like you. I, I'm glad you addressed that because I, I almost forgot to answer it, but uh, to ask you that. But no, that because I, I I saw you. You know, you left the company. You didn't retire because you're still going into another venture. You're just moving on. Well, that, that's a great question. I mean, we haven't asked that question, and I'm sure a lot of people are curious why exactly. I mean, most people think to themselves, "You have the the best job in the world. It's a dream job. Why are you leaving?" You know, that's a great question. Let me get my wife on for you. <laughs> she, she asked me about a year ago. She, you know, we were, I, I told the story a few times. She said, Dan, we like finished dinner and we're going to like watch some TV. And she said, Dan, what, what's next? I'm like, we're going to watch Breaking Bad and then I'm going to bed. Awesome. And, she goes, and I said, no, I know what you mean. And she said, no, there's, this is great. She said, but there's got to, what's the next chapter? The kids are getting older and there's all the stuff we want to do. And, um, Orlando's great and the job is great. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, why, why would I want to do, it? I get to go every day and there's a castle and there's princes and there's attractions. And, but I started thinking about it and there's definitely wanted to, uh, as uh, more and more. And I went to executive recruiters. I looked at other companies across the, the world and, and looked at what kind of jobs are out there. And there's some really fun jobs, but nothing was honestly going to compare to this job at, at, Disney, right? Um, you know, making enough money and doing what I want to do. And so really the only reason to make a change was just to have more flexibility and more freedom for us to do what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And that led to being a sole proprietor and saying, go out on your own. And when we first started thinking about that, there was, it's kind of like being vice president of Magic Kingdom. There is no way how after 27 years, I don't even know where to start to go do my own thing. Uh-huh. And, uh, I started chatting with my dad and I went back to Valerie and I said, you know, what if this doesn't work out? She said, well, I guess you're just going to have to go get a job. And I said, well, I don't want to get a job. And she said, well, then make sure it works out. So I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so we're, you know, we're, um, we're downsizing our house. We have a, a big house we raised our kids in and we don't mm-hmm. need the size house. And so we're going to get rid of our mortgage mm-hmm. and get to a smaller. And, you know, and she said, you know, grow revenue, cut expenses. You've done that at Disney for years. Now do it for our family. Wow. And so, this was just a big. It, it was a. It was a big breakthrough just to say, okay, do we want to just keep working super, super hard and mm-hmm. and, and do this and just keep, try to amass wealth, or do, is there something else here? And we kind of concluded it's about the experiences, and that's really where we're focusing our energy. And it was a. It was a life changing moment because it's when you when you work somewhere twenty seven years, you don't question. You just you're on board every single day, driving towards the goal. Sure. So to question that, it was uh, it was a big deal. But she's like I said, she's the she likes to wander and travel, and she knew that we're not going to do everything we want to do if I stayed in this role because it's so demanding. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I made the leap. Wow, a man. new adventure. I like it. Absolutely. I mean that, that that takes a lot of belief in yourself. Let me ask you something. When did your wife officially stop working for Disney? 
She stopped officially working in 2000, right after the millennium. Our uh, our son, our youngest son, was born in 2001, uh-huh. and uh, she, and she worked in retail. She was very talented, and you know it was a big decision to stop working. Mm-hmm. And so she stopped, and then as the kids got older, she started back doing a little consulting, mm-hmm. and then she got a part time job at Disney, and then she got recruited by Disney Institute. So she actually does contract facilitation for them now up in. Uh, Often she does it up in French-speaking part of Canada, and she does courses down here. But they'll contract her for five days. She'll do a gig and then won't do another one for a few months, and, and uh, that's enough for her right now. So she gets to dabble um, but still <laughs> have some flexibility. Yeah. If Disney was to come to you one day and say to you, Dan, we're going to give you a window on Main Street, what would you want it to say? Well, you know, it's funny. My um, my team gave me a window, um, and it was a little mini one, and it's not uh, the official one, but they designed one, which I thought was cool, because my dad's window is on Main Street. Yeah, and um, and so um, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember what exactly it said, but it it was around um, uh, nice. mentoring and developing people. That was the kind of the theme of the window they gave me, my little mini window, mm-hmm. which I was thrilled about because that's, like I said, that's what I wanted to be remembered for is uh, is doing that. Oh, here it is. Um, so it said established 1991, which is my hiring year. Uh, it said genuine, authentic, inspiring, Main Street motivational mentoring, principles and vision to deliver magic. Uh, Dan Cockrell, counselor and man of the people. So I thought that was that was cool. Oh, that I love is it. Awesome. Man of the people. That is perfect. Yeah. Let's so make that happen. That, you know, you get you get lots of plaques and things, and uh, but that one that's that's a keeper. That's what I'm going to keep because once again, it's uh, what you leave behind is who did you help and and how did you impact people's lives. And I've had so many people help me with my career. That idea of paying forward and helping people is a big deal. Yes. Uh, so before we close up here, is there anything other, uh, anything else you'd like our listeners to know? You would mention dancockrell.com. We will post those links for sure in our show notes as well as on social media. Uh, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know that uh, you're doing now? Uh, would you like to promote? Yeah. I mean, the main things, uh, like I said, the, the website, if you get subscribed, um, I've, I've been doing article of the week for 18 years. And so this is just a continuation, uh, every week. I, you know, I, I read lots of articles and lots of stuff trying to learn and I'd find one that I thought was appropriate. I'd forward it out to my, my leadership team and say, Hey, here's an article I read on communication or on self-development or on exercise or on hydration or on dealing with conflict. And every week they'd get an article from me and they could read it or not read it or read it and implement something. And so I wanted to continue to do that. So um, I'm curating articles now, and if I every week I look for a good one, and um, I I do a little intro of why I think it's important. Here's some practical tips. I like the inspiration side of it, but I also think the practical implementation. What can I do tomorrow to change is important because sometimes we go to these inspirational sessions, but we don't know what the next step is. All right, I heard that you want me. I want to live a better life, but I don't know what to do. And so I'm, I'm trying to be very practical about behaviors and things you can do. Mm-hmm. And um, as as that develops, and I keep doing these articles, uh, that'll be the information of eventually if I do a book or other things. So if people want to go there, I do keynote speeches. Uh, I do one-on-one coaching. I do some consulting. I'm going to uh, Croatia on Saturday for a week to work with a hotel company mm-hmm. on some organizational structure. So it's fun. Right now, you know, the world is sort of – you kind of get involved in whatever you want to get involved with and you get a little bit of operations experience but then um, my main thing is speaking though i like i like to do that and that's where people can find me and get updates on what i'm up to 
And if you could speak to one aspect on your website that I noticed, and I've heard you speak on other podcasts, uh, I'd like you to talk about it here on our show, uh, is the idea of the virtual COO, which is a very novel concept, I think. Uh, that's brilliant. Yes. Could you speak to that? And what if somebody were to get you for that, what would they expect? What, what, what does that look like? Sure. So that came from a, a buddy of mine, uh, Mark Surrett. We went to, um, I've known him since I was in seventh grade. And he's in sales out in uh, Las Vegas. And I talked to him about what I was doing. And he said, you know, here's a concept. He said, um, and he said specifically for his company, he said, we sell. And he said, we're supposed to plan and put a five-year plan together. And we're supposed to put these milestones and have some strategy about what our growth plan. But we're too busy and we don't want to do that because we like selling. And so we loved someone to come in. And we don't want, we don't need a full-time chief operating officer. So we'd, lo we'd love someone to come in. And if you were able to come in, sit us all down in a room, have a work session, we all get us to decide on what our plan is, uh, assign assignments to everybody, and then hold us accountable and come every month and tell me who's getting work done, who's not, and you know, just make sure we're pushing forward. Of course, the Disney guy, I'm like, well, don't you want to include your team in developing the plan? He said, no, I want everyone to sell and I want someone else <laughs> to do that for us. And so that was the concept. So the idea is, Either if you don't have the expertise or you're really not sure how to approach it or you're not interested in doing it, there's some smaller companies that can't afford a chief operating officer, but they want the expertise. Um, I can either come in and help them think about, all right, if you want to get your training better or if you want to, um, and I don't have all the skill sets to do everything, but I certainly know the framework and then we can find people to help them in certain areas. Uh, but I think a lot of times small companies start out because they have a great idea and as they get bigger, they have problems scaling hiring, training, onboarding, retaining, uh, planning. And that's something obviously I've had to do at Disney and I can, uh, I can help them do that. That'd be yeah. Good. Yeah. That, that'd be, that's great, man. Oh, hopefully some of our listeners will be able to take advantage of that. And definitely, like I said, we'll post the links in the show notes. Um, but look, yeah. Uh, thank you for coming on our show. Uh, the standing invitation applies whenever you and your wife are in new Orleans uh, we'd love to buy you dinner, maybe even buy you a drink, or maybe even coffee and beignets, whatever your preference is. Yes. Um, we would definitely do that. All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be full. Sure. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. You'll be full. And the ideal situation would get you and your dad, because uh, I, you know, just talking with you guys, I could sit around uh, a fire with some drinks <laughs> and just kind of just chat about life. As a fan, I would love to hear a Lee and Dan show. Yeah. Oh, that would be... Just... Just throw it out there. Just blue sky. Just kind of throw it out yes, there. Yes. If that's something that could that happen. That could be pretty so, fun. Okay. I would love to hear that. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll give him a head. He's in Ireland with my mom right now. So I'll uh, call him in the morning and pitch it for him. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jody can moderate whatever y'all need. Exactly. You know, Jody can you take know, care just, of the business stuff. And Jody just sets fun. a topic and y'all give your philosophies. I think that would be great. We yeah. will completely support it. Absolutely. We got, it we got you right here. I will put it on the docket. Yeah, look, well, if you if you got something new, you're, you have a standing uh, invitation to come on our show and promote it, you're more than welcome to, uh, whether it's in person in New Orleans or whether it's through Skype like we're doing right now. Uh, but man, it was it was it was a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, uh, it was it was just absolutely. I mean, I didn't realize like almost two hours went by. It was it was a lot of fun. No, you guys are a lot of fun. This was great. Thanks for having me on once again, and I appreciate the exposure to tell people my story. Absolutely. Absolutely, and thank you for everything you've ever done for me, my family, my daughter, and having a great experience at Disney World year after year after year. Y'all, just a phenomenal job. That's great job. to hear. They're going to they're gonna keep doing it. 
Thank you. Great, great. So safe travels to you. Hopefully whatever storm system decides to do its thing doesn't really hamper anything. Um, but uh, yeah, safe travels to you and, and hopefully you have a great uh, trip next week. All right. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Right, thank you. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, guys, if you want to learn more about the Magic Our Way podcast, magicourway.com is the way to go. There you'll find our social media links, past episodes, and more. And you can find the links for Dan Cockrell's websites. You can get more information about him. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so through the following ways. You can get shoot us an email at show at magicourway.com. You can leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe widget on our homepage, and you can call or text us at 1-815-MOWEEKEND. That is 1-815-MOWEEKEND-669-4226. You didn't let me do my thing, man. I know. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was, my timing was off. Like, it's hard to harmonize when people are talking. Just... I know. I felt, I felt bad. You know, I got off my timing because last week we just sang all the jingles. Which was, which was a lot of fun too you did recorded you that we did yes we did and i put it on the show it oh i gotta awesome. i gotta hear that we started off the show with two jingles and after that we're just like yeah we're just gonna sing everything i just jingled the night away yeah we, we jingled just, the night away we yeah. just boys to minute it was I guess. awesome it was like jingle it was, jangle look at y'all it was like 98 degrees but not not as hot Woo! <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> i didn't know you actually kept that no i kept it because it was awesome <laughs> We, we sang the piss out of those jingles. We did. Gentlemen. We won. And I hoped you listeners enjoyed it. Wow. I was in Disneyland. I have not had a chance to listen. I don't know what Eli's excuse is, but uh, yeah, I'll be listening to that soon. My <laughs> excuse was I thought that wasn't going to be used, so uh, <laughs> no. I just tried to sing it. <laughs> we rocked that too hard to not be used. Oh, man. Our prowess has to be uh, acknowledged. You're like Christmas every day, Kevin. You're just full of surprises. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, guys, we got a couple uh, people on our show that do things outside of the podcast. First of all, to promote Lee and what he's got going on. If you want to book a vacation to see the park that Dan Cockrell was once in charge of, or parks, I should say. Yes. Um, multiple. Multiple parks. Yeah. Three of the parks, except for Animal Kingdom. Yeah, I was uh, going to ask him about that, but. We'll just have to get him on another show when he I'm comes to town in New Orleans and have some beignets and some drinks and some hurricanes and some good food. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen. That's a promise. Lee. That's a promise, Dan Cocker, when you'll come to town. Um, but anyway, yeah, trust Lee of Magical Moments Vacations. Uh, you can, he'll get you booked up and hooked up. You can shoot him an email at lee at magicourway.com. You can call him at 413-DIZ-TRIP. And keep in mind, a portion of every booking Lee makes goes to support the Magic Way podcast as well as Girl Power to Cure. And remember, you can book a vacation with Lee. Withdraw, Hasselvika. And that voice, ladies and gentlemen, is our comic genius. Eli, tell them what you got going on, sir, so uh, they can support you. Uh, thank you very much. Hey, look, I want to give a shout out to all of the weekends out there that have bought the various issues of Project Geisha 1 and 2 and Molly Be Damned. Uh, I know Mr. Mononymous should have gotten his books by now, so I do hope you and your family enjoy it. So as always, if you're a weekend that has an experience, the Ivory Comics experience, you can go to www.ivorycomics.com. You're going to see all the art for Project Geisha issues one and two. And they're more than the average comic book page. I mean, they the average comic book page is about like 28 pages. I'm like, ah, nah, it's for my weekends. We're going to go past that. So you're going to go ahead and see art for Project Geisha. Molly B. Dan, which does have a certain pirate kind of theme, redhead pirate lady with a hat. Je ne sais quoi? You know, yeah, <laughs> French fry. You got to go, go ahead and check that out. 
uh, I have artwork up there for Savages, which I'm currently working on right now. There's blogs, there's interviews. There's always a link to my brothers in the Mawika Nation so you never miss a beat. So, as always, please support IvoryComics.com. Facebook.com, you can find me there, Eli Ivory. Project Geisha has own Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Project Geisha. Instagram, I'm right there, too, EIvory504. And, as always, on Twitter, Hancock10166. So, hey, you want this madness to keep going on and support the arts? And I love being inspired by each and every one of you. Thank you very much. And if you want to support the show as a whole, you can do so through the following ways. You can click on our affiliate links on our website. You can also buy us some beignets and support the show that way. And that money will go to buy Dan Cockrell and his family some real beignets when they come to town. And yes. we'll present that to him on behalf of the Moeekin Nation. I put some sugar on it. That put a, little, <laughs> a lot of sugar on it. All that sugar. It's good with sugar. It's a sweet family. Yes. yes. And uh, also, too, you can represent the Moeekin Nation wherever you go by purchasing some clothing from our shop. And the easiest way to support us is to leave a rating and review in iTunes or wherever you download the show, whether it is Stitcher, Blueberry, Google Play, etc. And also remember, we are part of the BS Podcast Network, whose motto is we speak our minds so you don't have to. So be sure to support our partners at podcasting over there. Be sure to support Dying Cockrell on his new adventure. We have the links in our show notes. Make sure you subscribe to his articles. Uh, get his article of the week. Uh, maybe your biz- you or your business could take advantage of the services he's offering at the moment. Uh, maybe even just you know subscribe to anything he is on social media, Facebook, Twitter, wherever he is. Um, but guys, weekends, ladies, gentlemen, we say Quaharini. My name is Kevin. I'm Danny. Magic out. I have every intention of eating those bananas for breakfast, but I still somehow end up with tacos. Cockerels! Shoot up! <laughs> the necessities of Mother Nature's recipes. Hey, guys. Hey, you hear that? Yeah. Yes! You know what that is? Tony Bennett? It is Tony Bennett. Oh, man. Italians recognizing Italians. You know what song <laughs> he likes that? What song is he singing? Well, the song that Lee couldn't sing when he was trying to do it for the Navigator. Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, but do you, do you know what I'm listening it on? This is Mad Hatter Radio, which is an ra- online radio station of Disney fan stuff that we have partnered up with, man. How do you like that? Partners here on the Gulf Coast, Magic Our Way and Mad Hatter Radio. Mm-hmm. Oh, creative buffs on radio stuff. That's like right. It. Yeah, it's good. It's another outlet. Uh-huh. You know, it, 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 what's good about it, yeah, let me tell you what's good, but you hear Tony Bennett, mm-hmm. but you could probably hear Bare Necessities done by like a, a metal group, a heavy metal group. You could mm-hmm. probably hear a country version of this. Oh, wow. You could probably hear like a funk version, James Brown type of, <laughs> give me <it> Bare Necessities. <laughs> oh, <laughs> get on, get up again. Oh, you know? tell, what you say now? <laughs> Disney. That's right. You can hear that all on the station, man. It's, <laughs> they don't just give you the normal spiels and, and, and r- attraction sounds, but they give you every creative variation that other artists have taken to the standard Disney songs. Like Tony Bennett right here. This yeah. little jazzy version of the Bare Necessities. You know? I'm thinking about Goodfellas right now. I don't know why. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. Bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada boom. Boy, listen to this station, okay? It's good for you. It's good for me. It's going to go ahead. It's going to help you out. It's going to make me out. It's going to be really good. Okay? Man had a radio. Bada bing, bada boom. Just do it, huh? Bada